DJ Ski World Premiere. It's big not to my plot, not to my plot, not to my plot. This fresh kicks when I'm wild, kicks when I'm wild, kicks when I'm wild. This all truth when I'm talking, truth when I'm talking. <laughs> Brian, how turned up are you right now by this rapper named Deuce? I'm pretty, I'm pretty turned up by the you're Deuce. Turned? Are you, you feel I'm like ready, you're turned? I'm ready to get to drop the Deuce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, thank you for turning me on to this uh, for the, your favorite artist, uh, Deuce, aka Clint Dempsey. Oh my God! Who, uh, <laughs> dude, <laughs> Can you believe that this guy, not only is this guy the best striker in the U.S. for, like, 14 years, but he's also, like, has a rap career that's, like, worse than Shaq. His, his other song, maybe we'll close the episode with it, his other song is opens up with, like, a pointless, like, phone call that he's having with someone where he's juggling a, a soccer ball in the middle of the field being like, Oh, I've seen that. I have seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I have. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'll always come up with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's Cl- He's from Houston, right? Yeah, he's from yeah. Houston, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> he strikes me as kind of like one of those like uh, kind of gritty, like I don't know, like dirty white guys. You know, he, he is not what we in America South. call just like yeah, but he's not just the, one of those clean cut soccer bros that you see. No, 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 no. he's not Stuart Holden. Yeah, um, he's not just like walking around in Vineyard Vines on the weekend. He's he's keeping it real. No, he's never heard of Vineyard Vines. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, welcome to Infinity License episode forty-one. Brian, you want to do something we've never, we haven't done in like thirty episodes? Shout out to Tajikistan. We could do that. <laughs> I'm just going to introduce ourselves. Okay, that's a good idea too. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm Brian Pisano, and I'm Lenny DeFranco, and you're listening to Infinity License episode forty-one. Um, so, uh, this is our uh, first podcast we've done in a while. It's just the two of us. It feels good. Yeah, feels nice and good. Just, Classic just license. Having alone. Um, uh, so I'm, I, I just got back actually from uh, another uh, yet another international trip. I'm just a jet setter these days. I went to Br- Brazil, Brazil, Europa. You're, you're you're all over the place, Lenny. I'm, I admire it. Um, I, you came back from one of my favorite cities in the world though this time, Montreal. Yes. Why do you love Montreal? I love Montreal. I've gone to Montreal almost every other year for the past like decade or so. Why? Uh, because uh, I had a close friend that went to McGill. Uh, um, and I, I've always had fun in that town. I assume based on your reaction, you did not have fun in Montreal. I mean, I had a great, I had a great time. I went to the F1 race. I feel like I saw Montreal in its glittering finest. Um, but it still struck me as kind of like a French Rochester. Really? Yeah, that's unbelievable. I think I, I went had to the old part too, like old town or whatever. Yeah, old town is well, the old town is kind of touristy. Like the the fun part. Did you go? Did you go to the student ghetto or? Um, no, I didn't go there. Yeah, you did. You go to did you go to the drum like Jimbe circle? Or, no. Or, oh man, Lenny, you like I I really I guess I didn't steer you in the right directions or I didn't steer you at <laughs> no, all. No, you did steer me. I didn't have time to do any of that because I was hanging out with a bunch of gambling addicts that wanted to go to the casino. Not oh, the I casino the, in Montreal is the worst. I <laughs> went to the casino three days in a row. I didn't even. I like essentially learned what it was like to go. To, I've never been before to a casino anywhere. Oh, uh, yeah, and like saw the F one race. That was really cool watching these like essentially inverted spaceships in Lewis Hamilton's words. Uh, like just watching, like just the physics of it is insane. Like I mean, you, we got a view of the straightaway at some point. We were in the general admission, and um, watching this car come down, and you'd like it was like an optical illusion almost. Like you play a trick about like I estimate, you know, in my lizard brain 
that this car is going to take X long to get here, and then it's just wave. It's like disappears. Were you just like and trying to? Were you trying to Doppler effect it? Where you're like, yeah, 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 <laughs> you're doing yeah. your own like kind of internal noises. You're like, this is what. That's how I can know <laughs> how fast it was going by. Yeah, uh, what pitch it is. Yeah, it was. Um, it's insane. Like the, the idea that like people that there's humans controlling this. Yeah, it just it's absolutely insane. It also, by the way, like you know, I. Watching, knowing, knowing how much strategy there is in F1 as I was learning, you know, like all the, the different driving styles and stuff like that, you see these people going by and when, if, unless you have any kind of like vertical perspective on them, it just looks like they're zooming by. Literally, you, it, it's almost too fast to see if you're just yeah. looking at, at a fixed point. And the idea that at that speed, humans have still ported the ideas of strategy and defense and the same things that used to like, you know, Machiavellian tactics that used to topple Kings and stuff. We've even brought it to like 200 miles an hour in, in basically an earthbound spaceship. And it it actually, what it made me think of is like, we can basically tame any machine and and still bring (laughs) our own bullshit to it. It it never stops being like, this guy likes to do that. This person has this preference, you know, I'm, I'm just jealous. I've never been to a formula one race and I would like to go. Well, Uh, I've never been to the cool parts of Montreal and I want to go. All right. Well, so next time, next Next year, we'll just rearrange this trip, and we'll go for the Formula One again, yeah, and then yeah. we'll, I'll take you to the actual fun parts of Montreal. We'll get some good food. Dope. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were recently at your own kind of event. Uh, I you did. doing some stringer work. I did. Yeah, I did some... I did a journalism again, Lenny. Uh, I guess it wasn't really journalism. It was when I'm doing journalism, who said that? I'm doing journalism was, I think, one of I the old guys. Yeah. It was Mike Yeah. Yes, it was Mike Cernovich. Something about like when I'm doing journalism and they attack me for having made my shit up. And, and I think he was also like, I think he also said that publicly while somebody was trying to like kind of confront him in an airport or in like. Oh, airport. right, right, right. Yes. And he's like, I'm yes, doing yes. journalism. I'm doing journalism. Please leave me alone. <laughs> um yeah, I went. So I, last night I went to. Um, we're speaking today. I guess we'll date this because we're speaking today on June twelfth. Yeah, it, this the date of this matters uh, because we're going to take uh, bets on the World Cup later on. Yes. Um, and also today, actually today was a historic day because the Trump Kim meeting happened today. I mean, it nothing. Did. It's not historic in any consequential sense, but it's you know it happened today. It did happen today, or yes, like it happened in the early morning hours or whatever it did, whatever Singapore time is, you know, in the Big upside time, down world. Yeah. Um, uh, Can you imagine if Trump were staying in the United States and someone told him <laughs> that that was tomorrow? He'd be like, no, it's not. It's now. <laughs> the meeting's today. Um, it's like, what am I, a time traveler? Uh, um, uh, but yeah, yesterday. So yesterday, uh, June 11th, I went to a Cynthia Nixon event. It was actually, <laughs> the event was around, it's been the, there's been a lot of media and press, particularly around Cynthia's campaign, but it's also been the 20th. Uh, anniversary of uh, Sex in the City, and the event was oh. actually yeah the event was at O'Neill's on Grand Street in kind of a Soho, Little Italy. But um, it uh, in the I forget the name of the bar on the show, but it's Steve's bar on the show. So her um, her partner Steve worked at this bar, and that was the impetus for the event. Um, it was pretty fun. I had a good time. Uh, had a couple of drinks. Talked to some other fellow podcasters because wouldn't you believe it? Other people went to podcasting. Go to these <laughs> these kind of. Uh, I wonder if she has the first all podcaster campaign. It. I mean, it's not a bad strategy, except it's probably a bad strategy in the sense that we don't reach that many people. <laughs> well, speaking of strategy, though, is it kind of dangerous for her to perpetuate the connections to the show? Like, isn't she trying to be n- d- diminishing the connection with? Uh, that's a good uh, question. Miranda. I would say that, um, yeah, probably. But I think, but I think also the merchandise she's selling in her campaign is like the two big items of merchandise that seems to be the most popular is the unqualified lesbian one, which was the Christine Quinn a riff on the Christine Quinn calling her an unqualified lesbian, um, which is actually pretty good. I was I 
was going to buy that shirt, but they ran they ran out of merchandise, so it's selling pretty fast, I guess, or they just haven't printed enough. Um, but the other the other piece of merchandise that seems to be very popular with the campaign is uh, I'm a Miranda and I'm I'm running for governor, or it's like it's like there's one that says I'm a Miranda and it crosses it out and just says governor, or it's like I'm a Miranda man. There's like a lot of playing up on the Miranda stuff, which I think is probably a fundraising strategy. I think that stuff probably sells pretty well. Um, and it's sanctioned by the campaign. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it's on the campaign. I guess, I, mean, I guess, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger definitely had, like, zingers that were terminated. Like, I'm going to terminate you. Yeah. Oh, no, he said that <laughs> he, in a debate, <laughs> one of those, like, eight-way debates that they had in that insane election to replace um, Governor Gray Davis, um, he, a woman, obviously, it was a super sexist remark, but it was funny at the time, because uh, we didn't know, we didn't have sex in back, sexism back then, um, was, uh, a woman was uh, being... I, not even sure. She was just saying something, and, and and Arnold Schwarzenegger's comeback to her was, "I think I found the role for you in the next Terminator movie." <laughs> Owned Arnold, because <laughs> she's being shrill. Yeah, it's like we are going to permit terminations. I am pro-choice. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, she uh, so she was there. She gave a stump speech uh, that was pretty good. I have a clip from it that we'll play in a little bit. Um, but I will give her credit, even though. In response to your her uh, your comment regarding her wanting to distance herself from being a Miranda, her some speech uh, did not really make any reference to uh, her Sex in the City character. She was strongly just referencing New York New York State politics and what she would do. As <laughs> I mean, uh, that is encouraging that she didn't make reference to her scripted fictional character in her race for the real control of a one of the most populous states in the country. The the argument I would. Parry that with or come back at is that the crowd that was there was definitely itching for some Miranda lines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I saw I saw ten girls ahead of me in line for the bar unironically order Cosmos. So uh, <laughs> uh, they just like Cosmos. Yeah. They, hey, look, I haven't had one in a while. I'm sure it's a great drink. I was drinking Budweiser heavy because I'm a real American. Because you had to balance out the estrogen with your a different marketing construct of masculinity. Exactly. Um, uh, the Anheuser. Marbs. The Anheuser Bush InBev company has gotten to me, and my masculinity is based on my ability to drink high calorie, kind of crappy <laughs> beer. Uh, Certainly the most American of all Belgian Brazilian companies. Um, 100%. Uh, but so, yeah, so her, her stump speech I thought was pretty good. I think her stump speech also answered a lot of questions, particularly I was excited about. The other anecdote I will say is that one of the things she mentioned was how uh, during her stump speech was about how. Uh, New York State can and should be able to pass a New York Medicare for All bill. Um, it's been in the state legislature for a little while and has been held up by the IDC and a couple holdouts uh, who are in bed, I, I think, with insurance companies and managed care organizations. What is the, the IDC? The IDC is the Independent Democratic Caucus. Is that the one that got dissolved? Kind of. They're still, they're still in effect. Yes and no. I won't... I, we can share the content around that. Cuomo said he dissolved it, but very, relatively recently. But the point is that when the legislation for the New York Health for All Act that was still in place, and okay. uh, and it, it, with executive order or with an executive push, and if uh, it does feel like the New York Health Act could get uh, passed through, um, but my my point is that so she gave a great uh, call for us to have this uh, essentially New York State being at the forefront of providing uh, uh, quality medical care for everyone that lives here. Um, and I got, that got a, a woo out of me. I wasn't doing journalism. I was actually, I was, I was, I gave it a, I was like, you, you, like it was, it was definitely an applause break line. Um, and I, and you could only hear me just go woo and clap. And then the next, <laughs> no. then the next line, the next, um, the next 
policy position was she was saying that we have to 100% decriminalize and legalize recreational marijuana and the bar exploded. <laughs> so, but she then shortly after, uh, she and then you're the after, one, you're the one public health nerd who's like, actually, that's uh, detrimental for outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, it's actually kind of split. You know, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of unknown. Not before 21, not before 21. <laughs> yeah, you gotta protect your myelin sheaths. I was the total narc there. Cool. Let's uh, hear some of what she had to say. Here are a few of my priorities when I am governor of New York State. First, we are going to fix the New York City subway. Yeah! I am on the subway every day. I am sure you are on the subway every day. Andrew Cuomo oh, is on the subway unless it's a photo New York City subway get any worse, it's going to die, and the city of New York is going to die with it, and I think the city of New York is worth saving, don't you? We are going to, when I am governor, I am going to fully fund our schools, all of our schools. We are going to level the playing field for students in every part of the state without regard to their zip code or their skin color. We are going to end the school-to-prison pipeline. Ushering white children into college and children of color into the criminal justice system that has to end. When I am governor, I am good. I receive no real estate money, and so I am able to take on the developers and the greedy landlords that are making New York less and less affordable with every passing month. without co-pays, without deductibles. We are the wealthiest country on this planet. We should be able to insure every one of our people, and New York can do it first. I heard that woo. Yeah, I heard you woo a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I wooed for that too. Don't get me wrong. But um, I, I thought they also her her line. The last thing about the Cynthia campaign was about the, the guy who's the pizza delivery driver in Bay Ridge, who essentially a whoever he delivered to, who just saw a Mexican guy deliver pizza and decided to call ICE at that uh, army base in Fort Hamilton. They ought to be court-martialed immediately. It's like, <laughs> like who the hell is this freaking narc that call? I, I mean, mean, what neighborhood did you say it took place in? You know, like Bay Ridge, Fort Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, a, but it's an army base still. Though, and the guy's married to the guy is married to an American woman. I don't know why he's is like. I guess something must be messed up with his uh, citizenship paperwork. But it's like upsetting. He's just like a I normal know. guy it's, working it's a job. That's all, all. Everything that's happening with the with the kids being. I mean, it, it like the Stephen Miller shock and awe, basically at the border. Yeah. Um. The fact that they're putting uh, a question in the census about who. Uh, are, are you a citizen or not? It's yeah, gonna be, it's going to be an. It's going it's to mess up the entire census. Is yeah. that like because think about that? Like the you're gonna, but, but the thing is, is that it you're going to have a lot of mixed. Yeah, I mean, like 
you're gonna have a lot of mixed status families are, are gonna be the ones that aren't counted because you know it's, it's gonna be safer to just not answer or not answer that question or you know whatever and you're gonna end up not counting them and the thing that pisses me off is that you know, the, then the reply would be good. You know, like, I mean, it's an easy philosophical reply. Well, if they're, if you're not comfortable answering that question, why should you be counted in apportioning out votes and, you know, representation in Congress and stuff like that? But it just, I was thinking about that today because, uh, not to get off the Cynthia Nixon topic, but it, I was, it, it's an important thing. Like the, the, um, the stuff that's going on with ice right now, it's, it's a travesty. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually, honestly, personally, this is kind of kind of out there of an opinion. I actually think this is like worse than internment camps, because in the '40s, like I could see a in, in the discombobulation of war, and you don't know what's going on. And Japan actually physically attacked mainland U.S., which nobody ever talks about. They like bombed Oregon, but um, you know, like I could could they, s- wasn't that like a balloon bomb or something like that? Uh, yeah. the, 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 actually, there was balloon warfare in World War II. It took place in the Atlantic. I read a Wikipedia page about it one time. <laughs> it was like the essentially the last time that Zeppelin, like military zeppelins, were used. Oh yeah, uh, because they were. <laughs> it was like it was like they were very susceptible to. Gusts of wind or something, and no so kidding. they literally could only float, and so they were extremely vulnerable. So they were basically only used in like submarine combat. <laughs> uh, but they could, I think, drop oh, they could, they could, and they could spot submarines, probably. Yeah, but yeah. imagine they're like, Hans, look at that dirigible, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it's like, it has that like cartoonist, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, but I mean, I could understand, like, theoretically, I mean, I'm not condoning internment camps, but, um, Lest I, we are very anti-internment. <laughs> we're we're anti-internment cat podcast, yeah. but I'm I'm saying I actually think that the deliberate infliction of misery that this is causing for the relative gain, which is literally nothing, is actually possibly the worst thing that we've done domestically, like in the last hundred years. Yeah, I mean I, ripping I mean, apart family, like those families. I'm not. I I don't want to defend internment camps, but at least there was like an effort to like. Treat them somewhat humanely in confinement and, like, you know, keep the families. This is like modern day slavery, what's going on. Not to mention, uh, the, like, yeah, the separation of the children from their families. Um, not to mention that these people, uh, like, you have to think of them as, uh, you know, Trump campaigned on this policy of, like, oh, I'm going after the drug dealers and the murderers and all that stuff. He's going after families, people who are essentially Women, economic, children, yeah, economic refugees who are, who are looking for no, economic, re- absolutely, and yeah. economic potential inputs. Like, right. if you were to give every single person, I mean, they would never do this, but like, if you were to give every single person that crosses the border money and like a GI Bill type thing, or, and maybe like a path to citizenship that made sense or involved some community service, something like that. You could grow, you could just pump air into the economy. That, and and listen, not to mention these people end up, oh, sorry to step on you, but not to mention these are people that work 60 to 80 hours a week. They usually work in like either intense landscaping jobs or something like that, or they work in jobs that are like in essentially, uh, you know, uh, the, the food production industry, which is just like a horrible, horrible job to work where there's a lot of uh, criminal abuse of employees that goes on. Um, they work in the hardest industries and they end up, people always are like, they're not my tax dollars, they're not paying any taxes. A lot of these people actually end up do paying taxes, yeah. whether whether even on their income or even just in like the sales tax that they pay, they end up paying paying buying property in some ways, and they pay taxes on that. It's like not like these people are completely outside of the tax system where they just sit on mountains of they're gold. Definitely not outside right. the tax system, and they're not even if they're not outside the tax system, they're definitely not outside the economy, and they probably want to be inside of all of it. You yeah, know? like I mean, I, I've only ever known like immigrants of any stripe that were extremely hardworking and yeah. whatever. So we're, we're obviously preaching to the choir on this. And by the way, after having driven through upstate New York, I had two thoughts. One, this place is, this country is not full. It's mostly empty. Oh yeah. And B, 
I, I actually, so I used to wonder, like, man, how could the governor of New York City essentially uh, be the governor of all of this? And uh, thinking about, you know, Cynthia Nixon. Right. And as I was driving through up there, I was like, actually, that kind of makes sense because there's really not that much here. Right. It's just it's just a giant. I mean, the Adirondack National Park is one of the biggest, like, or state or national parks in the country. If it's as far but as it's all stuff there. you can administer kind of from afar. It's not like you oh, yeah, to for know. Sure. It's not like the, the, the Viceroy of Iraq, like we were talking about on the last episode. Yeah. Uh, no, the administrative capacity of New York City can definitely extend out into into those regions. And honestly, it's like the administrative capacity of Buffalo controls a lot of the western... Uh, Buffalo and Rochester can kind of administer the rest of it. Uh, yeah. So... Um, so anyway, yeah. uh, cool. All right. So Cynthia, Cynthia is. Uh, I mean, how is she doing in the polls? Uh, I think she's behind by like twenty points. 20, so, so she's basically not going to win. But I think this is a very important challenge. I totally am behind it. Um, I, I think if she has some, if there's some kind of like major media event, like the subway has some big accidents, and like she could gain ground in this day and age, you can just gain ground really fast. Where it's like, hey, this person's been saying this the whole time. I mean, like Donald Trump showed us that. If anything else, he got written off by everybody at the beginning of the Republican yeah. primaries and. Uh, but then he spoke to people that were like, "Hey, at least he got expo- exposure in in, uh, in from the media in a specific way," and people were like, "This guy's speaking or, to me." Or yeah. Cuomo could like t- DM a picture of his dick to someone with his son next to it or something. Oh my god! <laughs> um, speaking of uh, the Trump running for president, uh, one of uh, Brian, your and I favorite moments from the 2016 campaign. Um, well, I think 2015 this might have happened. This was on the Infinity License blog was um, when you sent me an article where the New York Times is like deal book or something, tried to figure out what Trump's economic like philosophy was. Mm-hmm. And they basically came up with like mercantilism of a certain at a certain time period in, in history, like the early 1700s. Um, and uh, that like theme has has kind of like bubbled up again. I've seen it covered a number of places, but it's really relevant now because um, he has recently announced um, and imposed uh, tariffs on aluminum and steel, <laughs> global tariffs on aluminum and steel. Like most of the time, when when people uh, when, when when countries impose tariffs or like you know they have tariffs that they're like targeted to some degree, yeah. you know, like. Um, because they're they're trying to be strategic about if 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 a, a good can't come in this way, then it'll come in other ways. You know, the, the consumption appetite of the, of your economy is still there, so you got to plan for like if you know if we don't want oil from Iran, well, we know we got to get oil from somewhere else. Then, so you know, it's all very targeted. And the idea of imposing a global tariff, the reason no one does it is because the biggest imp- – you're con- concentrating all the impact on your economy. The goal is that Trump wants to correct for the trade deficit, I assume, and also potentially bring back what I assume he thinks is steel jobs and that kind of stuff back to America to make America more competitive. But I I am doubtful that that will actually happen by imposing these kind of tariffs on, on these countries. No, uh, because you're not going to – you're not going to – like spin up the the domestic steel industry. The domestic steel industry, first of all, I don't think it's atrophied, but it um, it also doesn't exist to, to a certain degree because it's inefficient to make it here. Like for example, um, aluminum is basically like I think it's bauxite and just energy. Like you you, you it's more efficiently produced other places that we have more easy energy than we have. Like it's it's kind of not arguable to you, you could argue about the merits of free trade in the sense of the the cost domestically but you can't argue with the math that like david ricardo talked about and and like that wrote board about. of education coming through right now yeah right <laughs> and and if trump came out and said uh you know he has 
idiotic ideas on like health. Like he thinks that the body is a battery and exercise is putting you closer is a waste of energy and it's bringing you closer to your final consumption of your gas tank and you're going to die earlier. And he also thinks as you told me, well how does he feel about McDonald's? It's very clean. He loves he thinks that McDonald's are very clean restaurants and that's why he loves to eat there and he also that's why he eats two Big Macs and a giant diet coke <laughs> every day. Exactly. And so <laughs> this guy so we understand intuitively how stupid that is, but because the country's not very educated about econ or any, I mean this is I'm not an economist but like the, the and again like the debates about free trade and capitalism and stuff like that I think are mostly had at a more philosophical level about degree and dialing it in right mm. but the idea of the benefit Trump is no Marxist you know and yeah. a, even if you're a Marxist like even if you're in favor of a German style like workers have more control of a company you're still in favor of nations trading with each other and exploiting comparative advantage the the, the this I it needs to get called out more in the press when they talk about Trump has this agenda. Trump, Trump has no agenda. He has a few vague ideas, and they're fucking really wrong in this case. Well, and that's why I'm curious, like, speaking of comparative advantage and also then just, like, essentially now that these tariffs getting imposed, he's being introduced to the idea of beggar thy neighbor and, uh, and the prisoner's dilemma, where it's just kind of like, oh, wait, th- these people have equal and opposite power to, like, to restrict trade in a way that it's like, hey, you know what your economy super enjoys? Like, pretty cheap Hondas and Toyotas and that kind of stuff. And you know, the factor inputs that go into that, among them steel and other things, that, like, all of a sudden, if people are paying five, ten thousand $10,000 more for a Honda Accord, uh, that's A, hurts American consumers and, and laborers who probably assembled at least portions of it. Absolutely. Uh, and the, the job loss is 16 to 1 compared to the job losses, the job, number of jobs lost in this country versus what are going to be created by... The, the, in the new steel industry, Be, because he thinks the economy works the way that it did in like the post World War II. It, didn't, it, it hasn't worked that way it since didn't the nineteen seventy five. Worked that way since Spain was a global power. Um, I mean, the there was a reason why we're still using the phrase "beggar thy neighbor," you know, because it's a concept that kind of died out when countries realized. Basically, uh, when, when it was proven by literally Adam Smith, he kind of proved that countries don't need to have constantly be in this in this uh in a, in a constant trade war um i mean trump is acting like this is something that hasn't been tried or it's been in people have been incompetent this is a world that we used to live in and then they discovered that it was actually be- you know that there was a it was a positive sum uh game also like you mentioned like the country it, even when countries do impose tariffs on something they're doing it on finished products mm-hmm. because like a Harley Davidson, for example, is one right. of the things that like some of the European countries are thinking and about. And like Kentucky bourbon, I think. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Not not mash, yeah. not steel. Yeah. You know, not chrome or right, whatever. Right. It's stuff that because if it's not a finished product, they can just get it from somewhere else. Right. You know. Yeah. It's it's. Well, that like that's what, that was the thing that they misunderstood. Where it's like all of a sudden now, I think China was also imposing te- tariffs on like sorghum, probably exploring a te- tariff on soy, which is a, a, an interesting one. Which is like things that the normal American consumer doesn't think about. But I'm like, well, these are actually probably bigger parts of the economy than what a steel mill Absolutely. was in 1981 or 1980. You I know, saw- like a union steel mill that like you know like that has since like gone away because it just wasn't economically viable and um yeah it, it's just that like well actually like exporting soy uh, exporting american services that kind of stuff are, are way more in, of an impact on the economy than uh, than these industries that trump or are tr- is trying to revive i think via these these tariffs and uh, it's just not yeah. gonna work <laughs> um, I, I saw somewhere that it was uh, between like 1993 or something and like 2011 there was 
980-something thousand jobs lost in manufacturing. That That's... Uh, a million jobs is created every couple of months. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, it's a reorganization of the economy. And also, those were not great jobs. They were good union jobs, but you can replace the job security. I mean, what pe- it's, it's so, like, frustrating and sad that what people are missing is the job security. The fact that it's a tangible product, you know what you're making, you know it's going to be needed, and you have a purpose in this, insofar as you're making the stuff that goes to build houses and cars and whatnot. But we can replace that with other things with a little bit of, you know, impetus uh, towards job training or feeling like this is the government's role to help create this. Um, there's other ways to create, you know, empowered employment aside from bringing back the good that you happen to be making back when empowering labor was a fashionable thing to do. Right. That, and that's that's what people miss about these jobs, and that's what drives me nuts, is that, like, you didn't miss working in a steel mill. You don't want to work in a steel mill. I've never worked in one, but I can guarantee you I never want to work in one, because I guarantee you you work uh, at least 10 hours a day in, in blazing hot heat and, like, being exposed to awful chemicals all day. But you enjoyed the fact that, A, you were working with other people. You were protected. <laughs> yeah, by, other humans. You're other, right, human yeah. Being, other human beings who were all in a union, pro- most likely together, and all rode a tide of, like, collective benefits where they're like, hey, well, it sucks that we have to work this job, but, you know, we get off at the same time every day. Uh, we can go watch the Browns lose or something. <laughs> um, well, they're uh, winning back then. Uh, uh, that's true. That's a good point. He should or, bring back Jim Brown. Uh, isn't Jim Brown a Trump supporter? He might be. I don't um, know. Yeah. Uh, but, like, uh, but then they, they can also, like, you can afford a house and a car and not have to worry it's about... Sustain a family on a Sustain a family. Yeah. You're going to get... You you knew that you were going to retire and probably sustain yourself and not go bankrupt or anything like that. Um, you know, th- those are the things you wanted. And those right. have gone away. And that's what people miss. Not this, not going into if a coal mine replace, and blowing themselves up. Absolutely. If you yeah. can replace, uh, like, the, the job security of that, uh, maybe by, you know, giving employees part ownership of the company as a de facto thing or something like that and instead have that set in like a service economy type job everyone would take that 100 percent, yeah but we can't do that because we have no job training there's there's no there's no effort to to transition you know west virginia into a different industry it's and and there's and it's it's just actively regressive i mean this is like so much of trump trumpism where he's right He's frustratingly so wrong right. that he gets everything wrong. For example, if he was launching this this fight to try to ensure better worker conditions in in every country that we transact with, um, and thereby increase the cost for those countries to to produce their goods, that would at least ensure that you know comparatively our workers now are more attractive. You know, and yeah. also. Workers are being treated better, even if they are made in Singapore. Right, and he's not doing that. He's doing it in the fucking worst way, which is to just try to shut off the flow of essentially close to a goddamn element out of the earth from our country. Which, I mean, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what imports are. You have a certain amount of consumptive appetite as an economy, and you produce a certain amount, and whatever you don't produce, you 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 import. And, right, and you know, and well, it, I mean, it, it's it's not too obvious of a point to make because. On paper, and with a very rudimentary understanding of economics, you would just look at it and be like, look, China sends us stuff, we and we buy all this stuff, so they get money from us, 
Like that's the simpleton like line which is of the reasoning. entirety of the power that we have over them. Right, exactly. Like so, that's the whole idea. Is that like, well, okay, you also didn't think about the, all the other factor inputs that go into that, and also that the Chinese government has all these people working in suicide net factories, which we're <laughs> moving here, by the way. I guess like in Mis- yeah, Wisconsin great. or whatever. Yeah, um, and uh, and also that they have like horrible pollution, no like no protections against that, and people have to work a crazy amount of hours uh, in those factories because uh, they don't have labor protections or that the way we do and that kind of stuff and it's like it's not necessarily better because you just but he just sees green china you know red america trade deficit uh or china in the black america in the red uh that's bad um you know maybe it's not sustainable over a long run but i also think that it's like probably something that would even out like i mean i think eventually that title go the other way like china's not going to arbitrage labor for forever yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean the whole point yeah. of money as a concept is you exchange it for something right so if you extend it out because you're really rich because you let's say have but a that's the perfect point because trump as much as he's touted as a rich guy doesn't understand the actual actual money like he's probably broke like he's probably Definitely in the red, but because he's essentially for his entire life scammed the government, whether it's through public <laughs> through, through public housing contracts that he got on the cheap or for free, like he got to develop all the West Side projects that are Trump, like the nouveau luxury brand Trump Towers for free because the city was bankrupt and he just got to swoop in and be like, I'll put property here. I have money. He did and, with the Trump golf course in the Bronx too. Yeah, he did. Like he just swoops in on people that are desperate. Kind of, he was honestly Jeff Bezos owes him one for pioneering hearing the style of being like, hey, why don't you guys all like give me stuff for free and I'll bring you jobs. Oh, by the way, I'll totally scam all the union workers who build this out of money or like I'll bring in non-union labor and that kind of stuff. Um, so so he doesn't, I think that's what we could get to is that he's a, a rich guy who doesn't understand money and that's why he doesn't get it. <laughs> totally, that's a great point. Like He understands the, the emoluments of it. He understands power and throwing it around idiotically, like really totally a-strategically. Yeah. And then there's also like, why is the media not saying this? Like, why why is this not being covered as Trump's stupid idea enters day fifty seven? You know, like this is a people wouldn't buy the McDonald's is clean argument. Why are we just accepting that he has this? You know, this Peter Navarro is is, is not an accredited economist. He's a PhD, but he's never published on this. Right. Um, you know, it's just a fundamental miscasting of this entire global situation. You know, like, for example, there there are tariffs that some of these countries have. Like, p- apparently, for example, there's a uh, like a, a, mo- a, a faction of, of German politics that is frustrated that there are tariffs on, like, imports of American cars. But the World Trade Organization has much more to do with, like, nuclear nonproliferation than with anything else. Like, the world started off because we came from a world that was cruder and had, like, you know, trade war as a, as a standard uh, M.O., the World Trade Organization came to be in a world in which uh, there were various tariffs all over the place targeted between specific countries and stuff. I'm sure England and France had a lot of tariffs against each other. Mm-hmm. And the, the point of the World Trade Organization is supposed to be a forum that provides uh, you know, entry into this club by means of reducing tariffs. So tariffs mm-hmm. are always getting reduced in the by World Trade Organization rules. So the fact that there are tariffs on X good doesn't mean that they they imposed it on us in a malicious way. It means that those are holdovers from the era that Trump is trying to get us back to. Just goes to show that like a consumerist a consumerist economy doesn't necessarily deliver happy people. <laughs> like, I, I think that's like that's a better point. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the case because these people. I mean, it's true. Like you do. I mean, people even that have been unemployed for a while. Probably. I mean, like. Being unemployed sucks, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's like you do have access to a lot more things now in this flattened, globalized world than you did previously. It's just you, figuring out uh, a meaningful economy moving forward. 
uh, Trump just took the easy route, which is just like, ah, it's the Japanese fault or whoever's fault it is uh, or China's fault. Uh, let's blame them. Uh, but I think the reality is that uh, if this goes into effect in, in the next couple of years, the, uh, in the next couple of years, you'll see those people and the, that the consumer economy get hurt. And I don't know what the next conclusion will be. Um, I, I fear that it, that the pain points will come at a point when it, it it's not clear that it was Trump's fault. And that that's absolutely it, a good point. Yeah. And and that that's like uh and whoever is coming in to clean up the mess is going to be between a rock and a hard place. Where it's like, what am I? What am I going to do? I like I can't unroll these tariffs because then people will be pissed about that. They can I mean, like I, I think they, they could, will be able. Hopefully, they will be able to. But I yeah. mean, you're totally right. Like the 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 all the every all of the damage that's being done to the society in general is being so baked in. I mean, people, you know, like Noam Chomsky and stuff can complain about American power in totally valid ways, but watching the diminishment of American power on the global stage right now is a really hard thing, to, hard pill to swallow. He, it, it's he, Trump is accelerating something that was already threatening to happen, which is the diminishment of the United States on, on global stage, and. Um, you know, th- w- getting rid of this nightmare is not going to just undo the the progress that's been made towards making America a backwater. Yeah. We're already a backwater in terms of the fact that we don't fucking give our people free health care and make them pay for exorbitantly for what basic human, yeah. essentially human rights. I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say full human right, but like whatever, whatever, if you can afford it, what everyone should, what it's prudent to give people. And which we can afford. And which we can't <laughs> afford. And so therefore, yeah. should. Anyway, speaking yeah. of. Um, Trump's fault or not? Uh, let's talk Mueller. Oh boy, Brian, do you want to get into the Mueller swamp? I, I am, I'm scared. Oh. I'm afraid I'm going to get indicted. I'm going to get roped into this. I'm going to get. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll somehow have some connection to uh, <laughs> the Trump administration. But uh, don't talk about that time I hung out with Paul Manafort. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you hung out with Paul Manafort, uh, which like. <laughs> yacht did you watch a live murder on <laughs> oh, wait, do they have wait. gladiator sports on yeah. uh, Paul Manafort's yacht <laughs> yeah no we just saw I mean it was just a pretty tame monkey knife fight just like they yeah, yeah. <laughs> they ain't gorgeous no more <laughs> um, yeah so like a lot of shit has happened with it I mean like we I don't know that my feeling on the whole like Russia thing has changed that much except for the fact that I, you know it came out that Saudi Arabia was also trying to influence the election and I think that like Largely, the whole Russia story for me has kind of morphed into a story of, um, uh, like, I, I obviously, I totally stand by, like, the idea that we were militarily attacked by Russia, that we need to respond, um, or at least frame the discussion around respond uh, responding to that as such. But, um, you know, there was a revelation, this is not what we're talking about specifically, but there was a revelation a couple, like, weeks ago. Um, everything goes so fast now, I can't keep track of anything that happens We're living in time warp. I know, but it was that, uh, you know, basically Saudi Arabia and like Eric Prince were also very involved in, in hooking up all these ba- with the Trump campaign. And, and, you know, Israel was involved and we were kind of doing their bidding and so was Russia. But, you know, you mean, the guy, you mean someone like the guy who wrote an op ed in the New York Times that's saying that we should just privatize the entire Afghanistan? Privatize <laughs> our entire empire. Just the entire project. empire should yeah. just be mercenaries, just like unaccountable mercenaries who definitely <laughs> never did anything wrong in Iraq by my estimation. He has to, oh, wait. I think he can't live in this country anymore or also like um yeah, I mean so, you know, I think that w- all of those parties were interested in the outcome of the election too and I think the larger point of the Russia scandal regardless of what is ends up being found um is that 
there's actually there's always going to be a lot of, of parties that are interested in the outcome of the presidential camp election and uh, you know controlling that person and usually our account our democracy is strong enough to you know our immune system is strong enough to repel it and in this case it was like a ddos attack that we just submitted to mm-hmm. su- that we just succumbed to because we're, we're too weak we're in a very weak spot right now and that's kind of the position that i have always been in with like the overall narrative of the russia investigation but more specifically, I think there's a lot of smoke, and like there's certainly been a lot of stuff that's been that's come out. Paul Manafort openly tried to, or it has come out that Paul Manafort clearly tried to tamper with witnesses, and he got hit with another couple indictments. Mm. It's getting to the point where we're 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 starting to see the way this is going to play out. I don't think Trump is going to get get away with uh, obstruction of justice, and um, you know whatever ha- is going to happen is going is going to be a really messy. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, the, the two ways it could it could get dissolved would be either Trump uh, dissolves it himself or pardons people. And yeah, include, and, you know, and there's been this talk that he said that he he has the unqualified ability to pardon himself. Mm. And so, what I wanted to mention was um, over Christmas break, I read this book called Impeachment um, by Cass Sunstein, and basically, what this is is. Um, uh, and 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 the reason I want to mention is because it has provided a pretty simple framework that's helped me kind of orient uh, the way that I'm thinking about what the president's allowed to do. Um, the president has powers that are very much unspecified by the Constitution, and uh, it's a huge matter of debate um, because for the simple reason that it's never been tried before. There's hardly any case law around this. Mm-hmm. Um, so little case law, actually, that when Cass Sunstein, who's like a perennial kind of like liberal... Uh, figure on, in legal circles, he'll probably be nominated to the Supreme Court one day by a, a Democrat. Uh, if anyone ever dies, <laughs> if anyone, ever, I don't know if these these frogs are ever going to die. But yeah. <laughs> um, that basically uh, during the Clinton administration, he was kind of this like he's married to Samantha Power, by the way. Oh, uh, really? Neo neocon. Yeah. Uh, the the person who proves that Democrats can be neocons too. Um, but uh, during the Clinton administration, uh, during the Clinton impeachment trial, um. People were like reporters were calling Cass Sunstein, who was already a known figure. I think he's a Harvard lecturer or something, and Harvard law professor. And um, they were asking him for his opinion on impeachment stuff. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't know anything about impeachment law. And he pretty quickly realized that nobody does. Yeah. Uh, it there it hasn't been tried that much. It, there's been three pres. There's been two presidential impeachments in history: Andrew Johnson and um, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nixon resigned before it happened, but he certainly would have gotten impeached. And uh, there's been like 19 total or something, mostly of judges, because officials can be impeached too. And Johnson's, Andrew Johnson's were over like I think just like appointments, like corrupt appointments or something like that, or something. Stupid. It was very, very 19th century. Yeah, uh, and so, and and stuff that was uh, overtly politically motivated. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, because there's such a lack of case law, Cass Sunstein was like, okay, well, I guess I will turn into an expert then in the 90s. And so he just basically read the case law. He read. Um, the uh, sort of originalist approach of like you know what the what they actually were debating in the constitutional convention. What is this this kind of thing here for? So he wrote this book that was basically arguing that even though there's very little precedent for this law, there is still an intention, like an original intention that needs to be honored, and he wants uh, there to be grounding in it because like when it's time to, you know, the, the way in, uh, uh, impeachment works is that. Um, the House serves as a grand jury, and they can offer indictment or not, um, or they can they can vote for indictment or not, and that is what it, impeachment actually is. And then the trial, it's, it becomes a trial, and it goes to the Senate, who acts as the jury, and the judge is the Supreme Court. And when it gets time where like 
John Roberts has got his hand on a Bible and he's taking the oath and stuff like that. And it's like, holy shit, this is real. We might unseat the president. Yeah. Uh, you want there to be legal grounding on which to base the whole proceeding. So that's kind of what Cass Sunstein is going for. That even though, um, yes, the popular notion is that uh, impeachment is its political process it, it entirely. And he's like, yes, technically it is, but there's still a, a guiding light of what we should consider impeachable and not. And he bases it in what the um, the founders were like actually deliberating in the in the in the, the great convention, and uh, the way that it's been applied since then. Um, and he argues actually mostly misapplied. The simple concepts I wanted to uh, to um, get across are this: number one, um, the when the Constitution was being sold to the American people, the original intention of the impeachment uh, clause was they they wanted to have someone who was um, basically a strong uh, unitary executive, mm -hmm. but they obviously were extremely uh, sensitive about creating another monarch. Mm -hmm. And what monarch essentially means, in addition to the hereditary thing, is above the law, right? Mm -hmm. So the question that they had was, how do we create a strong central executive um, who has untrammeled, quote-unquote, energies, as I think um, Hamilton was the one that was really in favor of like having someone who's not worried about whether they're going to get lose their appointment as president you know like for this or that bad decision let them focus on the job we want them their energies as president to be focused and and un undiluted by these worries but we also don't want someone that's above the law so how do we find that balance and it was not as intuitive as you think and they basically came up with this concept of impeachment which even apparently as far back as the like you know, early 17th century was a deviation in American history, American application of it versus the British application of it. And they came up with this idea that was lightly debated in the, in the convention, but ended up being very powerful when they were selling the constitution to the country. And the concept was simple and it basically diluted to, yes, you have a strong unitary executive. They can do what they want, but you, if they get out of control, you can impeach them. Mm -hmm. And the, specific thing that they need to do to get impeached is abuse their power mm -hmm. okay so the central question with impeachment is is it an abuse of power not criminality okay mm -hmm. first of all the office of legal counsel has already ruled uh there it's like the the government's uh like the doj's in-house legal interpreter has previously said the president can't can't uh pardon himself they said that during um nixon mm-hmm but they also said during Clinton that he can't be uh, basically charged with, a, indicted with a crime that's not related to, that, indicted with a crime that's not presidential, essentially. Right, yeah. It has to be in relation with the, the discharge of his powers. So if the president is caught for tax evasion, for example, that he committed before he became president, like Trump might be, right. they have to wait until he's not president to prosecute him for it because they don't want his energies to be diverted. But what if, if he purposely engineered the tax law to benefit him and help him evade taxes? Then that's and impeachable. I, exactly, yeah. Again, the question is, does he does the question is not should he lose his liberty, but should he lose his job? Yeah. So you can theoretically have someone who is a criminal or has a criminal background, um, and still be and and but that person's been elected, uh, and and still keep them in the job. I mean, you want them, you want the you want the democratic process to play out, and you want that to be the thing that keeps uh, competent people, not totally enough people, in office. So in the case of Trump, especially. Um, if you're looking at the intent of the framers, you know, all of the shit that he's done that's shady it was pretty much out there. I mean, everyone knew that he had a lot of bodies in the closet. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, 
Trump land knew that, but you know, we kind of got what we thought we were getting. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And by that logic, you could actually kind of say that the framers would prefer that we settle this electorally rather than um, through impeachment, unless they find specific abuse of power in relation to his role as president. That's why I think firing Comey is probably, um, you know, the closest thing that he's done because he had, he had the power. um, You know, the main question, like the way I think of it is like, was the president confident that he had the right to do what he did? Yeah. Firing Comey, he does, you know, like, but he was also was trying to protect, you know, um, trying, you know, arguably trying to obstruct justice. Uh, I think that even the idea of is obstructing justice, here, put it, it even convoluted to the point that is obstructing justice when there's not an impeachable offense underneath it impeachable? Some people say no. You know, some yeah. legal experts say no, and and we don't know because it's never been tried. And you know, Mueller is very um, conservative and by the book, and so he might not bring um, a case that he doesn't know has full like legal standing behind it. You know, we don't know what he's going to find, but if it's something kind of ticky tack like firing Comey or obstruction of justice. Who knows if, you know, he's probably going to refer it to the House and they're going to not vote to impeach. And they're not going to be totally wrong to do that. Now I may be a simple Brooklyn, not a country lawyer, but um, uh, the, I, I think in reading all these articles, reading what you sent me and the excerpts from the Cass Sunstein book that you sent, um, it's made me realize how much of the law is based on like intention, like and, and intention in the law and proving intention is a difficult thing oftentimes. And like we to the layman, the not the uneducated, the non the non legal minded like myself and many others, it is just uh, the whole case is just a, a, a complete examination. Like, oh, wait, this is how the laws are this, like this is how common or, or civil law is engineered in this country. And like this is how we have to think of it. And we have to think of crimes or certain like offices in relation to like public service and how they get prosecuted is different than just like, Hey, Trump did what he done. It. Trump done did what he did his whole life, which is steal, yeah, and <laughs> like, lie, and shit. lie yeah. like, and create, and just like use kind of like shady tactics uh, to, to uh, get what he wanted. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm not surprised at all. And, by and that. now that like, attempt to strong arm and basically fail at strong arming. Yeah. Uh, and, like, well, that's the thing is that like he he's but that's what he's done his whole life. I got like got to give him credit for the fact that he has never quit on that idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and because it's like what it, he's always just somehow gotten out of a jam. Like, you know what I mean? Even when he was bankrupt, like and the, multiple times he's been bankrupt throughout his entire life. He's just like somehow either used his ability to like use grunt force or like essentially abuse the legal system in a way because it's like, well, you know, most ethical and normal people would like just admit that they're bankrupt here and pay their fines or whatever. (laughs) But he would just like find the most catty way and the most backbiting like snakes who would, uh, you know, defend him in court or sue somebody or Roy like Cohen who used to uh, eat with his fingers, supposedly. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, like, like the Michael Cohen's of the world or, um, who, it's going to be fucking disgusting what uh, I do to you. Oh man. That audio Such tape was, that, that was unreal. Um, that's why I think the impeachment route where people are holding out hope for this Mueller, like Hail Mary impeachment. I'm like, um, I'm not. I'm not optimistic on it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Based on what it's, yeah. uh, the more I look, the more we get, that get this onion gets peeled back. I'm like, oh, this is probably not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, it's and it's it, it is a totally political. I mean, I think that if you know if Mueller's smart, he's going to wait until uh, Democrats take over the House and it, with Republican the current House 
uh, in place. I mean, Ted Cruz couldn't even answer the question of whether the president should be allowed to pardon himself. That one's easy. Just be clear, that one is an easy one because yeah. that's the president saying he he's free to commit crimes, and that's expressly not what what that's expressly what they're trying to create America to avoid. Um, so, uh, but you know. If if it gets referred to the House and it's a little bit on the fence, like it's not outside the realm of possibility that, you know, this thing kind of goes nowhere. And that gets back to my main point that I've always had, which is we need to focus on the unhealth of our democracy and the epistemic crisis that we're in where nobody knows what facts are, where, you know, it's much bigger problem to me that like the separation of government doesn't work when it basically is a separation between two parties and, you know. The, the, it totally changes the entire constant balance of power. So yeah, um, well, especially yeah. one of those parties isn't really willing to open what oh, yeah. the rules oh, are. Uh, yeah. The worst. I I have no end of things I could say about how fucking abysmally humiliating to the concept of Western democracy um, the the Republican Party specifically is. It's it's and it, it's ironic because you know like the Steve Bannons of the world, you know, these racists, they're the ones that most want to defend Western democracy, and they're actively. Um, the ones most subverting its its most cherished tenets, like yeah. the freedom of information and uh, the, individuality over yeah yeah. Um, anyway, it's so very frustrating. Let's skip to uh, speaking of uh, escape from Europe, the World yeah. Cup. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna the close one we're not out. participating in. The one we're not participating in. No, it, actually, it's a very f- fitting thing that America wasn't able to participate in this global party. Um, in ironically Russia. being had in Russia. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, June twelfth, um, and uh, the World Cup starts in two days. Brian, are you excited? Yeah, I'm very excited. No, I'm very excited too. Um, and uh, so I'd be more excited if the USA was in it, but um, I'm so very excited. Eh, <laughs> I mean, I, I got I got my I got my ducks in a row. I'm rooting for uh, Iceland. I'm rooting for obviously Colombia primarily, who's going to do very well. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so um, we wanted to spice up the action a little bit. And as a uh, as a springboard to that, we used the fact that uh, Bitcoin took a bath, a, a bloodbath to be specific today. Yeah, it's not doing um, great right now. No, it's like it's on down, June twelfth. That is June. Yeah, it, it was down to sixty five, sixty six. Uh, we obviously are perennial optimists as far as that goes, so we thought we'd we'd uh, make it interesting by uh, to, earlier today. We both bought twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin, which is right now like basically two basis points worth of Bitcoin. Point zero zero two eight zero nine. Yeah. So uh, we're going to bet this. Uh, ideally, uh, in um, like a week, it will have recovered. Let's hope by Sunday when this the the, the end of this bet will come to... We'll trade on on the Sunday when this bet comes to fruition. Then, yeah. And we'll see how much the price has shifted. And then yeah. Hopefully, hopefully up. <laughs> hopefully in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll publish along with the the notes, the show notes, how much it ended up being worth. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we decided to do a little, we wanted to not just do one bet, but uh, on the opening, the opening action of the World Cup, but a couple bets, like a group round. The uh, a win is worth three points, a loss is worth zero, and a tie is worth one. Um, as per usual. Yeah, as per usual, like, as it goes in the round robin. But the, we're throwing a little bit of a curveball in here because we're using a non, non-traditional non uh, game, if you will, to... Um, <laughs> to bet this. So the first game, uh, we've got a matchup of Peru versus Denmark this weekend. Peru versus Denmark. Uh, I'm taking I'm taking Peru. And I'm taking the Danes. Danish. I think they yeah. have a really good midfielder. Probably. It's good. It's an interesting matchup. But Peru might have some dope guy, too. I've got to feel like Denmark has the height advantage in this one, but that's just... <laughs> that, is, that is true, I'm sure. Uh, then 
we got Spain versus Portugal on Friday, which is going to be a good one. Uh, I'm taking the hometown hitters. Uh, it's Spain. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the big the big boys. In the, the Battle Iberica, I'm taking Portugal because, you know, why not? Okay. All right. Well, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo might put up some numbers, as he always does in the World Cup. Maybe. Uh, he spoiled the U.S. last last time around. With so a dope cross. Um Germany, Mexico, or the uh, the Zimmerman Bowl, <laughs> the not, Zimmerman Telegraph Bowl. Well, z- not not just for the uh, telegram, but for the Hispanic uh, murderer with a German name. Oh yeah, uh, George Zimmerman. Oh geez, I forgot so, about that um, horrible Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, the horrible Zimmerman. Uh, yeah. Not the the logical, not, not the cool like the trying cool, to incite yeah. Mexico to fight the U.S. in World War One. Um, so anyway, they're playing uh, the uh, Ubermensch on uh, Sunday. We are going to go. Uh, with Nate and we're going to go dr- get drunk with hopefully a bunch of Mexicans to watch uh, their team and I am taking uh, Germany I don't want it to them to win but I think they obviously will uh, Brian I think you bet Mexico uh, out of enthusiasm I'm excited for Mexico because this is their time to shine wouldn't it be the it would be the ultimate sticking it to Trump if Mexico went pretty deep oh, in this I tournament f- hope uh, so badly they do um, Mexico's fun uh, they're always fun even though I guess they're kind of USA's rivals in uh, the CONCACAF um, I, I, I don't know. I just always appreciate the environment of the Stadio Azteca. So uh, I'm, I'm going Mexico, baby. Also, I'm, uh, we're about to eat burritos. So I feel like that's a good endorsement of Mexico. Thank you, Mexico. Thank you, Mexico. Thank you, Mexico. I'll pay for it. My burrito. <laughs> we didn't get a taco salad bowl or whatever the other stupid thing was. The best burrito bowl or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the last the last bet is, so this is not a game, but this is a game for uh, global competition in about, uh, what is it now, eight years? Eight years, yeah. yeah. Um, so the the right to host this crazy game. So there's we talked about it on the Noah Davis episode, the Amer- uh, the Amero bid. Uh, the Ameri- Amero! Amero, folks. It's a united world government. We don't have one currency. Even though I guess Alex Jones listeners probably are big into Bitcoin, too, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, so like that, that, that maybe that they have missed that global currency that's going on. But the uh, the Amero, uh, so America, Mexico, and Canada bid versus going up against the another heavy hitter, <laughs> Morocco. Uh, <laughs> and I'm taking, this is only for one point. We're only, there's a line bet on this is one point, so this might yeah, be a tiebreaker. Yeah, um, so this is going to be a tiebreaker bid. Uh, but I'm. I think the American our combined bid, even though NAFTA <laughs> is on shaky ground right now, I still and after our president, our 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 big boys uh, <laughs> slandering of Justin Trudeau and, uh, and constant vilification of, of Mexico. The, yeah, yeah. That's, oh God, I can't believe that this even happened. Of all times, they picked a triumph, a, a, a trilateral bid for the World Cup between. The three countries of a dissolving trade pact. Yeah, the, the, the comedy could not be the only. That's actually possibly funnier than the World Cup being had in Russia right now. Yeah, um, I'm taking uh, Morocco. Nice the uh, the margin bid. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a. Uh, I think it's kind of a protest vote, but as we know, those are all the rage right now. That's true. Uh, all the African nations support support it. I think a couple uh, European nations support it too. But you know, like it's going to be a residual runoff to for benefit uh, France. So you, you're going to get a lot of countries to support Morocco just to fuck over America, uh, which I personally think they should do. Um, even though probably those are going to be also stadiums built by slaves, but um, maybe they won't. I don't yeah. know. Uh, so yeah, 
Uh, well, I believe in the country that co- the countries that already have functioning stadiums. So, <laughs> I mean, we could host the World Cup permanently every year. Oh yeah, like, for I don't sure. Moments notice. All right, so we got three games we're betting on, um, and uh, uh, we'll see who has the, the more, most points at the end of it, and we'll we'll uh, see what we're going to exchange it for. And we'll be exchanging it two point zero zero two eight zero nine Bitcoin by the end of this weekend. Brian, yeah. do you want to? You know what it's time for, Brian? What time? It's time for Clint for DJ Deuce. MC Deuce to drop the drop a deuce. Drop the deuce on me, damp <laughs> dampy deuce. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, guys, we got a uh, pretty exciting thing coming up this summer, uh, and we will keep you apprised of it. But uh, it's going to be something to celebrate the 50th episode. We're on 41 right now, so uh, look out for that. Stay uh, tuned. We got something cooking. All right. Well, uh, on behalf of uh, the Death Podcast partner, Avery. Oh my god, thank you, Lenny. You're so good. You're the best. You're better than LVL. You're the best listeners. I'm going to impose a tax on you, though.